Welcome to the Companion Chapel Everyday Bible Study Podcast. My name is Mike, coming to you from the Great Lakes area of beautiful Ontario, Canada, on this gorgeous October 29th, 2021. It's a beautiful day outside. Coming right up at 2 Samuel chapter 8. Don't you dare miss it. All anxieties and uncertainties stop where biblical literacy starts. This Companion Chapel podcast makes the Bible easy for you to understand and enjoyable for you to follow along. First, please consider your part in the many-membered body of Christ. This is your church. Help glorify, magnify, and broadcast God's saving word. My part is creating this Bible teaching media. Your part consists of getting involved in the church administration with your time or money contributions, managing, marketing, marketing, advertising, helping with the website, helping with the podcast, whatever God-given talent you have, God expects you to use it in the many-membered body of Christ. Companion Chapel is a registered nonprofit ministry. This Bible teaching podcast is only possible with your donations. Give it up for God and your whole human family at companionchapel.com. How are your blessing? How are you blessing others with the blessings God has given you? Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, or e-transfer to email address companionchapel at gmail.com. Companion Chapel is located at number 338, side row 28-29, Paisley, Ontario, Canada, NOG2G0. Come on out, say hi, come on out and check it out and be part of this great broadcasting center, this great broadcasting church. We teach the truth, the seeds of truth to be planted throughout the world. Here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1. We're going to go through some of David's accomplishments here. And after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, Methagama, translated and say transliterated, means it was the great power city, the mother city of power. That would have been their capital. David just took it. And these are heathen areas, and God's plan, plot, and purpose has to unfold exactly how it's written, and he can't allow the adversary, Satan, to interfere with that. And always remember, all these wars and and people dying in the flesh, God is the God of the living, not the dead. They go back to the Father, and hopefully they'll get corrected there, because they had no chance of getting corrected here. And they were getting in the way of our job, our calling, our great commission to plant the seeds of truth throughout the world. So people have the chance at salvation so when we die, we go to a place of peace beyond our comprehension that is valid, legit, bona fide. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He would not compromise with evil. He will not negotiate with evil. He will not make concessions with evil. And he did that in horrific suffering circumstances. Satan's got nothing on him. We don't have anything on him. And when he laid down his life, he set up that place of peace, a place of heaven, a place for us. And that is extreme divine love for us, for whomsoever will. If you like the way the world's running right now, well, there's another thousand years after this. Knock yourself out. Verse 2. And he smote Moab. Uh, Moab, remember, uh, Father put a sentence on them. This is prophecy that came to pass. This has been fulfilled. Numbers chapter 24, 17. And measured them with a line, casting them to the ground. Even two lines measured he put to death and with one full line to keep alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and bought, brought gifts. Now, this sentence was laid down in Numbers 24, 17. And the ones that didn't make it were probably just the ones that weren't that, that, that were running their mouths. Three. Well, it also said the male line because the male line was... You should just read Numbers 24, 17. Okay, that's who David did what God... Originally, it was planned, and David fulfilled it. Three, David smote also Hazad Zedder, 
the son of Rohab, king of Zobah, and went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. His border. God allowed it. That's his boundary. Established his dominion there. Verse 4, And David took from him a thousand chariots, seven hundred horsemen, and twenty thousand footmen. And David hewed all the chariot horses, but reserved of them for a hundred chariots. Okay, this is just military strategy. All right, so if you want to get into the numbers of all that and try and pick it apart, always remember that the Hebrew 7 and the Hebrew number 700 are very easily mistaken one for the other. And don't get hung up on that. This is just military strategy. Five, and when the Syrians of Damascus came to secure Hazedek or king of Zobah, David slew the Syrians, two and 20,000 men. Okay, this land is getting cleansed of heathenism, idolatry, and everything that goes along with heathenism and idolatry that takes people away from salvation. God wants us back. He wants us all to sing for joy, His pleasure, His glory, like we did before. Iniquity was found in all of us, and we had to pass through this age to decide, are we going to perpetuate this evil, or are we going to put it beside us, behind us, and let the Lord Jesus Christ guide us to a place of peace beyond our present comprehension? The universe. God is the God of the universe. We're stuck on this little planet. We are born once innocent of women. As it's written, we pass through the matrix once. What that means is that we are reduced and restricted in these little flesh bodies. And some people just think they know so much. And we live in this little film of air. Barely even five miles of air. Only two and a half miles of it is actually breathable air. And when you look at this planet compared to the universe, to prove how restricted we are, we can't even comprehend infinity. That's how restricted we are. That's proof right there. That it's beyond our comprehension. Infinity. And when we look down at we look up into the sky, just imagine how small this planet is. It's like a little grain of sand with this tiny film of air around it. So fragile. But God set this up. He said, You guys go down there and you better you better get this out of you. And then you can come back. And he's God of the universe. And he's setting up a place of peace that we can continue on for infinity where space and time doesn't mean anything. There's no procreation. There's no flesh and blood. God repented. He says, he, was, he sighed with disappointment. He goes, this is the only way I can get this out of you people. The one third, us, that followed Satan. Iniquity was found in all of us. Greed, gluttony, entitlement. And look, and look what mankind's done. What's in the heart of mankind? I don't want to digress too much here. Oh, we choose capitalism. Subjects of capitalism. We choose cars, electronics, guns, knickknacks over, over what's right and what's wrong. This entitlement, exceptionalism, obscene privilege is what's in our hearts. We have to get that out of us. And it doesn't matter how we get all these knickknacks, cars, electronics, guns, whatever you, whatever stuff is so important to you. It doesn't matter how you get money. It comes at an expense. The mass exploitation of humanity and exploitation of this planet. Like we'll sit here and we'll look at our... People will sit there and brag about how much money they make and how much money their money's making. And don't you understand? That's obscene privilege, rendering humans as expendable or surplus. It's unsustainable the way we're living. Destroying the planet, 
and each other. And it, it, that's all how it was written. That's all how God told us this would happen. And you think we're allowed to go out in the universe with these attitudes and live with, with the Lord? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's another place after this for people who just can't get over themselves and their obscene privilege, expectations. And that's the millennium period. You go to the hell side, like in Lazarus and the rich man, Luke chapter 16. Look at the rich man's attitude. Trying to boss Abraham around. Abraham, tell, tell, that, tell that guy there that hung out at my gate with the scabs and the dog licked his scabs. That, that, yeah, Lazarus, go get me a drink of water. Go down and talk to my brothers. Now, Abraham says, you wouldn't listen to Moses and his laws and prophecies. What are you going to listen to this guy for? You wouldn't even help him out when he was laying at your gate full of scabs, starving. You just pass by him like he was less than nothing. And that's what people do when they spend money and expect money and keep buying stuff that they don't need and expect it and have this obscene privilege attitude. And they render other human beings on the planet as exploitable or surplus. Where do you think you're going? Do you think you're, oh, my ticket's stamped to go into heaven. I'm a good person. Jesus Christ is going to say to you, depart from me. You never got to know me. God loves all his children and forgives them. Do you? Do you love each other? Do you love all the people on the planet? Maybe not what they're thinking or saying or doing, but they're all our brothers and sisters, and we're all of the human family, all God's children. So be careful when you look at this, and some people say to me, oh, God's a murderer. He's God of the living, not the dead. He's trying to sort us out. Who can carry on? for eternal life, and who's just, listen, man, you're just rotten to the core. Just rotten to the core. You're so greedy, and, and you think you have entitlement. So the, all these people, when the land is getting cleansed, go instantly back to the Father. That's where you go. And David put garrisons in Syria and Damascus, and Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts. They paid tribute to him. That's an occupying force David put in there. And the Lord preserved David wheresoever he went. God was with David. And David took the shields of gold that were with the servants of Hadzeter and brought them to Jerusalem and Beda and from Baroth cities and Hadzeter and David took exceedingly much brass. And this is where Solomon got all this stuff too because David acquired a lot of stuff. And Toy king of Hamath heard that David had smitten all the hosts of Hadzeter then Toy sent Joram, his son, unto the king David to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadazazer and smitten him, for Hadazazer had wars with Toy. And Joram brought with him vessels of silver, vessels of gold, and vessels of brass. Now, stop right there. Amos 6.14, we find out that Hamath is of the Kenites. Uh, this is a Kenite type. They never change. They try and buy their way in, and they try and seem so innocent. Who are the Kenites? The sons of Cain. Genesis chapter 3.15. I will put enmity between your seed line, Satan, and the woman's seed line. That's hostile hatred. But this is a paras parasitical type of these people. They try and buy, their, buy, buy friends. Procured by trickery. We're innocent. We don't want to cause no trouble. Here you go. And they come in and they just, they just, there's the enemy within. An enemy within is much more dangerous than an enemy outside that you can identify. 
Cisco here, verse 11, which also King David did dedicate to the Lord. Yeah, he didn't say, this is my stuff, this is my treasure. David was a good guy. He had a good heart. And this is a good example. It's not his stuff, and that's not your stuff. Your car, your lawn, your house, God allowed you. How possessive are you? Who God gives much, God expects much in return. Give it up for God. What do you need past the basic necessities of life? Oh, you have entitlement to all that stuff? God allowed you everything. He allowed you that job, that lunchbox that you ate out of for 30 years. He allowed that. And he expects much in return. But no, you know, people will dedicate all their stuff to themselves. Yes, I worked so hard for this. This is mine. It belongs to me. And when you die, what? Go up to the Lord and with your credit card and your bank account and say, Yeah, let me in. Here's some money. I want to sit in the front. It doesn't work like that. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy morals. You can't buy integrity. All that stuff has to come from the heart. So here's David. He dedicates all this stuff to the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all nations which he subdued to the Lord, not to himself. He didn't say, this is mine. Let's see how big of a mountain of stuff and I can sit on here. Mine. No, David wasn't possessive. He gave thanks to the Lord. 12. Of Syria and Moab and the children of Ammon and the Philistines and of Amalek. Amalek was the bad guy. Don't forget that guy. And of the spoil of Hadazer, son of Roab, king of Zobab. You know what? We're going over Raphim and Nephiliums. We're going over who God hated in the womb, Esau. That's Amalek. His posterity, what's in their heart to create communism and tyrants like Russia, Rush in the Bible, and the Kenites, sons of Cain. God's in control. He's showing us here. Give it up for God and he will tell you. You have to count who your enemy is. The threads that run through the Bible are God's trademark stamp of validity. And they let us know. God's not going to just put, allow enemies to crawl all over the planet without letting us know. And this is the only book that lets us know. An easy book of only 700 pages. And David got, that's a nice word, let's just say, David, David made himself a name when he returned from smiting the Syrians in the Valley of Salt, being 18,000 men. Yeah, David is the man. He's a great military leader, a great king. He put up with a lot from Saul. He's a great forgiver. And we're going to read human frailty coming up in the next bunch of chapters. And it's just all examples for us in the end time. Okay, 14, and he put garrisons in Edom. God hated Edom. He hates that. He doesn't hate the people. He doesn't hate Russian people. But he hates what that system became. The system of Russia and China, of just totalitarianism. I think I pronounced that wrong. Let's just call it tyrants, uh, dictators, communists exploitation of humanity, uh, idolatry, uh, falling away from the truth, falling away from God. You know, Satan's the treasure of the world. You know what's interesting is we talk to people. They talk about money all the time. Sex and money. like the, And there's stuff and things money can buy. And they look around at people and go, oh, he made it because he has a million dollars. You know, I was talking to someone that I truly adore. And they're getting advice off this guy who's a lawyer. And, oh, he's made millions of dollars. He's very successful. And, yeah, we trust what he says. 
What's, what's God say about that? The Bible says, he who trusts in man, you're going to lose every time. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Or chapter 5, verse 17. You can't trust man. You can't trust mankind. And you can't, oh, that person made millions of dollars in his life. That's a success. How did he make that money? Like, is he a Christian person? Is he giving back to the church? Or is he just styling around town, living luxuriously? And a lawyer? Are you kidding me? Who trusts a lawyer? This is God's law. Does he carry this book into the law courts when he goes in there? Obviously not. Mankind's laws are set on precedent. And don't even get me started on lawyers. And David reigned over all Israel. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David reigned over all Israel. And David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. He's fair. And he has this standard with him. This book, the Moses Law, the, Mount, the Laws of Sinai, he has God with them. The Lord preserved David. If, if something's preserved, that's like having the spirit of prophecy dwell within you. Lord Jesus Christ now is the spirit of prophecy. The intellect of the sacred testimony, that's what preserves us. That's what gives us eternal life. That's what's in David right now. The Lord preserved him, a preservative. 16, and Joab, the son of Zerah, was over the host... Uh, okay, so that's the military leader, Joab. Remember, he was kind of a renegade earlier. Uh, Zariah is David's sister. And Jeho Jehoshaphat, which means valley of decision, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. So he has, we're going through David's governmental system here. His military, his recorder, that'd be like the secretary. And Zadok, the son of Ahatab, and Amalek, the son of Abathar, were the priests. Now, don't read over the word Zadok. Zadok means just. And who is king of the just? Melchizedek, the king of the just, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Sarah, which means Yah's prince, was the scribe. This guy wrote a lot of stuff down. And Benaiah and the son of Jehadah were over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief rulers. These Don't read over this. Benaiah and Jehodiah. These were the special forces. This was the David's security, his inner circle of security, the executioners. And David's sons were chief rulers. Let's go on to chapter 9. Now, this is a very interesting chapter. It goes to a much different subject. The subject there was David's accomplishments and how he set up his governmental system. David's bodyguard, these guys are bad. Like, don't mess with these guys. Verse 18, Benaiah and Jehadiah. And... This is as good as it gets for David right here, before we get into chapter 9. We could say this ends the prosperous part of David's reign. It's just, that's as good as it gets. Number 9, or chapter 9. And David said, Is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Hey, David's not selfish. He's not greedy. He's not saying, yeah, it's me. It's all about me. He still remembers Saul. And he loved Jonathan. Remember, David loved Jonathan. They fought together. They made a covenant together. And they promised to look out for each other. They had each other's back, and that includes family. And how frail people are today compared to this. What a great example of Jonathan's heart and how what God expects from people. And there was of Jonathan, and there was of the house of Saul, a servant whose name was Ziba. 
And when they had called him to unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thou, thy servant is he. Now, Ziba just means stature, translated. He was a servant. Now, Ziba, just a little heads up here, in 2 Samuel 16, 1-4, Ziba turns out to be an opportunist liar. Okay, it's what's in it for me. So just remember that. Uh, verse 3, back here in chapter 9. And the king said, Is there not any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? The kindness of God. David gives it up for God. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame in his feet. Remember, Jonathan's son was dropped by his nurse and messed up his feet. He can't walk. can't use his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Where is Jonathan's son? I love that guy, Jonathan. And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then the king David said, And fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Why is this repeated? That means that we have to look this up. Why isn't it translated? It's transliterated here. So, the deeper lesson is, Maker, okay, I'll just translate, translate this for you. He's in the house that is sold, the people of God, where there is no pasture. Lodabar, no pasture. ML, people of God, my car is sold. Where is Jonathan's son? He's been sold into there's, where there's people that are God's children, but there's no pasture there. There's no word there. There's no saving word. Now remember that Saul's son's name was Meth-Ebosheth. And that means exterminator of idols. Now, what Ziba says about him in 2 Samuel chapter 16 is much different than Meth-Bosheth's account in 2 Samuel 19, where he states he is a humble, thankful, and loyal to King David. And furthermore, if you want to read about Meth-Bosheth, First uh, Chronicles 8.34, where he's named Merib Baal, which means about the same thing, contender against Baal. And he's also written of in First Chronicles 9, verse 40. But let's just carry on here. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, or chapter 9, verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy serpent. There's two Mephibosheth. One was an actual son of Saul, and this is the grandson of Saul. But there's no word for grandson and grandfather in the Hebrew because it's our posterity. That's our inner posterity, our close family, but we're all part of the human family. Never forget that. Verse 7, And David said unto him, Fear not, for I'll surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Whoa. He, he, he honored this kid. He says, You are the son of Jonathan. And now you come here and partake of the bread. In other words, the bread of life. Because we just finished reading in the last chapter that the Lord preserved David. He's within him. The Holy Spirit is within David. Preserved. You put a preservative in something, it stays good. 
so the deeper lesson here is he's been invited back to the house of bread because we just finished translating that he was living or sold into the people of God where there was no pasture, where there was no bread. It was repeated for emphasis in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 9 here. And now he's invited back to the table, God's table. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Now, he might have been called a dog before. He might have been uh, looked down upon. But he just self-abased himself. He humbled himself. And that is the result of grace shown. When it says, look upon such a dead dog as I am, this is like the sinner is concerned about what he is rather than what he has done. Think about that. Verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Well, Ziba just got a big boost here. Now, Ziba's just a servant. And this is a huge inheritance. And that was between Jonathan and David. And David's passing it down. And this is a huge lesson about people, especially people in this time, about where your inheritance is supposed to go. What you're supposed to do. God makes it very clear. That if he gives people much, he expects them to give much in return, the way inheritance goes, to keep it in your family. Inheritance doubled to the firstborn, the firstborn male. And then the second, the second one gets much also. But the firstborn is supposed to continually take care of the family, to keep the family properties, the family possessions in their family and continually give it up for God. But people nowadays, last 70 years, have been the worst time of greed and gluttony on planet Earth. Just living unsustainable lifestyles of entitlement and greed and looking at people. I've heard parents say to people, well, our parents never gave us nothing, so why should we give you anything? Like, we didn't get nothing. Why don't you try reading the Bible? Who God gives much, he expects much in return. You have to give them something. My grandmother, who lived in grinding poverty, probably one of the poorest women down in the town I grew up in, what did she gave me the greatest treasure, the greatest gift. She didn't give me property. She didn't give me a car, which would have been a joke now. She didn't give me stuff and material things or, or go shopping and buy me crap all the time or take me on ridiculous vacations. She gave me a Bible. When I was 10. And I read it. Continually. And was continually mocked. And told it wasn't meant to be understood. Then I went to school. And they told me. No the Bible is just some storybook. Because we have science now. Just lied to and lied to. But she gave me that book. And I never let it go. I still have that copy. And it was the greatest gift ever given to me. By any human being on planet earth. Thank you grandma. And God bless you. Let's get back to Ziba here. Oh, Ziba just rolled upon a giant load of money and stuff. Uh, 11 or 10. Thou, shalt, thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants, like you, Ziba, shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring fruits. Thou shalt bring in the fruits, and thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephbosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now, spiritually, we are all lame. 
and we have to partake in the bread from the key of David. The bread of life. Our Lord Jesus Christ feeds us with the bread of life and quenches our thirst with the living waters so we never hunger or thirst after the ways and things of the world again. We never look at humanity like they're out there to be exploited. We never look at the world like we are entitled to some obscene privilege. Exceptionalism. We're never going to mass be part of the mass exploitation of humanity. Just rendering humans as exploitable or surplus so we can have more stuff. So we can have more things. Remember, Satan is the treasure of the world. And as our, our morals lax, we expect more privilege. And we pay homage to money. People that People tell me all the time, I say, yeah, money is the root of all evil. Well, I always leave the word for the love of on purpose so someone will jump all over me because they don't read the manuscripts. That word love means you're entitled to it. It's not the same word, the, the same word love in the manuscripts, like love thy brother and sister. Love the whole human family. You have to love the Lord. The love of money, that word love is a different word. It's just translated love. It means something that you feel you can't live without. Something that you pay homage to. You think about it. You worry about it. You go to great lengths to get it. To protect it. That's what that means. I always leave it out just so I can teach people what that word love means. It's not the same word love. You have to go back to the manuscripts. Manuscript. Just look into the received text for the New Testament and it's clear. It's all locked in. It all, it's all the threads run together. And all the threads that run through the Bible are God's trademark stamp of validity. And that's why when people say to me, oh, that's your interpretation, Michael. And I say, well, my interpretation is through the glossary of the Bible, which are the threads that run through the Bible, through the Masoretic text, through the received text for the New Testament. There's nothing new there. And then people argue with me, well, in 16-whatever, the King James decided to put some books out and some books in. Yeah, this is a history book. And there's nothing else that can be added to this or taken away from it. Of course, there's other books like the Apocrypha and the Herodian King's books. There's, other, there's always other books on history, but none of them contradict. This Bible is locked in. God allowed it for us, and he, made, he kept it safe for us through all the oppression against the Bible throughout the world that's inflicted by Satan himself, the, the, the oppressor. We see the trademark, uh, or we see the vote-safe nations that have the Bible, that have crosses and churches all over the place. That's the migration of the ten tribes. They went up over the Caucasus Mountains, Caucasians, settled Europe, Canada, United States. That's where all the Bibles are, the majority of Bibles. That's where the vote-safe blessed nations are on planet Earth. Because God blessed them. He says, you guys have a responsibility. I'm going to give you much. He called us Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim means double blessed. Manasseh means forgetful. I know you guys are going to forget, but some of you that care about humanity, about your human family, and about this planet are going to realize you're double blessed and I'm double blessing you because I expect much in return. That doesn't mean fill your garage full of cars, get a bigger house, have four or five extra bedrooms and a huge front lawn and just sit there and watch your bank account grow at the expense of others while you're oppressing them. I didn't give you much to oppress people. I give you much to spread the seeds of truth to free people. So think about that next time. You're sitting in front of your financial advisor. More for me, more for me, more money in my bank account. 
Well, you're going to pay for that. Enjoy it now because it won't last long. We're all going to be dead in 20 years, 30 years. What's that? When you consider the affairs of time, you're going to go somewhere. You're going to meet your maker. And you're going to have to stand in front of him. He's going to go, look what you did to this guy's over here. We gave you so much and you just wanted more. You couldn't get enough. You're so self-absorbed, self-indulgent, selfish. I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to tell you. What I did on the cross was the most selfless act of love and compassion beyond your present comprehension. And you still can't comprehend it. So you can go to hell for a thousand years and see if you can work it out over there. No, you can't come in. You go, go beat yourself up with that rod of iron, thinking you know better. You're not going to sit there and convince me you're a good person. Oh, I'm a good person. I give much. Who are you trying to convince? God knows everything. He knows your thoughts and intents in real time. We're reduced here and restricted to just above animals. We just happen to be on the top of the food chain. Look out into the sky and just think, there's only less than five miles of air around us and only two and a half only only half of that is breathable that's what's keeping us alive and we just use it as this big garbage dump the oceans and the air the atmosphere and you think do you think those attitudes are allowed into the universe absolutely not jesus christ is going to that's on your account and you have to account for what's in your heart and if it's not pure, Jesus Christ's not going to let you in. If Jesus Christ let people that are selfish and, and arrogant and aggressive and self-entitled and greedy, greedy, gluttonous people, possessive people, people that think they have entitlement over others and entitlement over the planet, and, and people that have full of worries and anxieties and fears and uncertainties when God tells us all things in this simple little 700-page book, if he let those people into heaven, it would be nothing more than a new hell. What would be the point? Anyways, let's go on here to Ziba. Then says Ziba to the king, According to all that my lord, the king, hath commanded me, his servant, so shall thy servant do. Yeah, no doubt, Ziba. You just got handed like the golden, I forget what they call it. Where do you get golden handshake here? Yeah, you don't have to do anything else. Look what you got now, Ziba. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And now don't overread this because Mephibosheth is only about 17 here. And when we talk about him in uh, coming up in the book of Samuel, I think it said verse nine, chapter 19, verse 24 to 30, we find out that he's in his 30s then. So we'll see what happens with him and his attitude and with Ziba. And Ziba's attitude. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Ziba just got the golden handshake big time. Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, is well taken care of. Now, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and that is not a place of no Lodabar, which means where there is no pasture. Because David is there, David is king, and God is preserving him. 
So this is a great blessing to Mephibosheth, who now dwells in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame on both his feet. Yeah, he couldn't trip around because the nurse dropped him when he was five. Anyway, that's chapter 8 and 9 of Second Samuel. I hope you're enjoying that. Listen, I want you to help support this podcast because you're not supporting me. You're supporting planting the seeds of truth, helping glorify, magnify, and God's saving word for all your human family. You have to you have to consider this. It's not me that you support because I don't want anything. And you can come out here to the companion chapel. I just need the basic necessities of life. But if God's blessing you, how are you blessing others with the blessing God has given you? Who God gives much, he expects much in return. Help support this podcast. Share it at least. Tell your friends and enjoy it. I want to thank you very much for listening. Have yourself a great day and bye for now.